Hey there, Last Week in Tech fans. You've probably noticed that this feed has been a little bit quiet over the last few months. That's because we've been working on a brand new show. It's called Techathlon, and it's all the tech news you know and love from the Last Week in Tech crew, but reformatted as games, competitions, and mostly friendly arguments. You're about to hear the first episode. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Techathlon, the newest podcast from the editors of Popular Science. On every episode, members of the PopSci tech team and friends will join me, Jason Letterman, to teach you a little something and play some games, trivia, and compete just a little bit. Let's meet this week's panel from the PopSci tech team, Corinne Iozio. Hello, hello. Stan Horacek. Yes, hello. And Rob Verger. Hey, Jason. Hey, Rob. Let's get right into it. Our first game for the day is going to be, as always, Last Week in Tech. In this segment, each of our competitors will pitch what they think is the most important news story of the week in terms of technology. I will give each of them 60 seconds to make their case, and at the end, I will decide what was the most important thing in the last week. Corinne, what are you going to talk about this week? I'm going to talk about the new emojis that we can look forward to over the summer and into the fall. There are 230 of them. That's so many. It's a lot. I can't wait to use every single one of them in one text message. Perfect. I look forward to it. Stan. Yeah, your phone is going to start lying to you if it's not lying to you already about something very important. Oh, so cryptic. Yeah, well, that's what we're supposed to do, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm trying yeah, to sound, no, you nailed it. You nailed the trying assignment. Trying to sound way more interesting than I am. I think you're super interesting. I mean, look at that beard. He has a glorious beard podcast land. Rob, what are you going to talk about? I'm going to talk about something that pertains to Tuscan chicken, bourbon pork tenderloin, and New Orleans sausage. Those are all of my favorite things. How did you know? Is it me? Are you talking about me? Doesn't that sound delicious? That's no fair. Rob just listed all the new emoji. (laughs) That's the cologne Jason's wearing today. That's it. (laughs) New Orleans sausage is my brand. Uh, Corinne, let's let's talk about emoji first. All right. Are you ready? I am so ready. All right. Your one minute begins now. So like I said, last week we found out that there are 230 new emoji coming. Now, the carriers like Apple and Google are going to start introducing them not until the summer or the fall, but this pretty much happens every year. This is the sixth major update to the emoji set since it started rolling out years and years ago. And it kind of continues a trend that the Unicode Consortium, which is the body that controls emoji, has been following down for a very long time. In 2016, they allowed people to change their skin tone to better represent themselves. Last year was a really big deal also because they added the ability to change your hair color. I missed your 30-second mark. You have 20 seconds Oh, left. my God. This is the worst. Okay. So this year, we finally are seeing a lot more representation of persons with disabilities. You have a wheelchair. You have a service dog. You have a hearing aid. You have an emoji that represents a deaf person. 10 and, seconds. And, you know, this is all, like I said, going in the right direction. We want, Five seconds. We want these things to be able to represent us, and it's super-duper freaking important. And that is time. Thoughts on new emoji? Yeah, we mentioned all the important stuff, but we didn't mention the cutesy garbage, which I think is also important. Okay, fine. Here we go. 
waffles, butter, flamingos, a hand that makes that like little bit gesture. Pinchy hand, as a it's pinchy, called. A pinchy hand, <laughs> a Band-Aid, not boxer briefs, but like brief style underwear. Tidy whities. Yes. So also continuing on the note of representation, we have things like a sari and a, a Hindu temple. Uh, but I know Stan's personal favorite is the little yellow face that yawns. Yeah, the stupid yawn made me yawn. I wrote a blog post about it because I, I want to yawn right now thinking about it. Do you have a favorite? You know, you mentioned some of the cutesy ones, but, you know, is there one that you're really looking forward to using? Butter. Sloth. I think the sloth Oh, yeah, is sloth awesome. is pretty good. There's an orangutan. There's going to be a sloth? Yeah. yeah. I love sloths. And an otter. And also an ice cube. I mean, sometimes you look at these things and you wonder, like, wow, that wasn't there already? Like the yawning guy. How did we not have that? I don't know. And I, I wish it was gone. Like, people are going to text it to me now. My my wife already texted it to me because she read my article. She texted me. She was like, ha you yawned now. Great. <laughs> Did looking at that yawning face actually make you yawn? Yeah, it really does. It's really susceptible. There's some, like, research on – I fell down the rabbit hole on popsci.com because we've written about it a bunch apparently. And there's, like, a whole – there's a lot of variables depending on, like – your age, the time of day, and like how excitable your brain is yeah. about whether or not you'll yawn. Did we fact check the notion that if you don't sympathy yawn, you might be a sociopath? Because <laughs> I've definitely heard that. Yeah, I think that's maybe an oversimplification, but uh, I'm going to assume it's true because I'm, I yawn all the time, so I'm clearly great. <laughs> I have no comment about whether I sympathy yawn. I've never seen Rob yawn or eat <clears throat> or sleep or... You can't spell robot without Rob. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Rob, I I feel bad making fun of you, so please go next. Your 60 seconds starts now. Awesome. So I mentioned those different flavors at the top of the segment, and you guys have probably heard of McCormick, which makes spices and condiments like mustard and whatnot and those spice packets that you put on food that probably have way too much sodium in them and whatnot. Um, Anyway, they announced that they're teaming up with IBM Research to use AI and machine learning to come up with new flavors. So those flavors that I mentioned before are actually some things that are AI-enabled, meaning that AI helped kind of come up with those flavors. And it sounds really weird, like, oh, an AI flavor. 30 seconds left. And um, so, yeah, you might think, like, why do we need AI to come up with flavors? But there's a lot of data that goes into flavor making, whether it's the combinations or the raw ingredients. And so the machine learning algorithms at IBM Research are going to be helping them kind of crunch all this data and create new and maybe even better flavors. um, To, you know, for us all to taste and buy off supermarket shelves at some point. So that's the story. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of the the stories about the development of the Cheeto to make it like the perfect snack food. You know, all of this research and development that went into making Cheetos, the crunchy ones, I believe, in particular. And the the company that made them realized that they could make a snack that was perfect and satisfied you, but they decided to dial it back a little bit to make sure that you couldn't stop eating them. Imagine if a robot could do that with everything. It's terrifying. I am actually perfect. Did you know that I heard that the the robot they have to do this, they call him Guy Fieri, and the no. room is called, <laughs> called Flavor Town. Stan, I a hundred percent do not know if you're kidding. I I'm not kidding. Oh wow. I am kidding. I'm sorry. Stan. Stan. I'm just saying. 
This isn't the first time that AI has been making our food for us. I remember when IBM opened Watson up to developers to allow people to use artificial intelligence to optimize their products. There was a a portal that would let you use AI to make your perfect granola mix. There's a company that used AI to perfect the flavoring of its beer. I think it was an IPA, so I didn't taste it because IPA is disgusting. And it's this AI is sort of replacing a, a really familiar process in food where they say, okay, we have this one formula. Now we're going to give it to a bunch of people. We're going to get this feedback and we're going to crunch it, and then we're going to do it again with a slightly different formula, and we're going to do it over and over again, and then we're going to compare all this data. And that's what AI does. Like, that's literally the best description of what AI is for, where it's like we give it all this, like, data, and then it looks for patterns and similarities, which is what they've been doing forever anyway. Totally. Um, so now the, the AI is sort of spinning it back out a little mm-hmm. bit, taking it that one step further. So I don't know. I look yeah. forward to the whatever AI Taco Bell creations are going to come out. <laughs> I like picturing like robots in some factory, you know, coming up with flavors for us humans to try and then maybe poisoning us at some point. Like <laughs> obviously that's not what's happening, but it's a funny image when you think yes. of like AI made flavors. It's cinnamon, ham, arsenic, and <laughs> cinnamon more again. <laughs> Cyanide tacos. But it would be fun if it found all those, you know, cool, funky flavor combinations that you don't realize go really well together until somebody just mashes them up and you're like, oh, look, this lunch tray full of garbage tastes delicious. KFC announced a Cheeto chicken sandwich this week, and I'm hard-pressed to not think that that came from AI. So it's (laughs) Cheeto-breaded chicken? No, it's a chicken sandwich with Cheetos on it. Oh, well, they should have breaded the... the, I mean, I've been doing this for years, but just with potato chips instead of Cheetos. Fat guy lettuce. Fat guy lettuce, yes. (laughs) (laughs) You guys ready to talk about network connectivity? Oh, totally. Hard switch gears? I think I'm definitely going to win this one. Go for it, Stan. Uh, All right, is my timer on? How much time do I have? 60 seconds, seconds. and it starts now. If you have an Android phone and you have AT&T service, you may have noticed that up in that little corner where it talks about your connectivity, it now says 5GE, where it used to say 4G. And that sounds cool, right? 5G sounds great. We're going to get faster internet, all this kind of stuff. Well, it turns out 5GE is nothing. It stands for 5G evolution, and it's AT&T's sort of marketing speak for... Hey, you know what? We've upgraded our 4G network a little bit so it can connect to these more advanced towers. And you might see some increased speeds up to maybe 2x, which is, hey, that's a pretty good speed. The problem is that real 5G, when it comes in the next year or two, is going to require 20 seconds left. new antennas and new towers. And it's going to make your phone's internet 100 times faster. So all this is doing is making users a little more confused. And now it's getting even more confusing Ten because seconds. Apple has said that the new iPhone 10 models will support this iPhone 5G Five seconds. with the new 12.2 iOS operating system. I feel like this is crazy. Like... It's like taking a car from model year 2018 and let's say they actually put the model years on the cars and they kind of chipped off that year and just put a 2020 on it. You know, it's like calling an old thing new. This happened in 2012, too. Like a similar thing happened where they were kind of gaming the move from 3G to 4G where they were like, well, this is 4G because it's better than the old thing that we had. So it's technically a new version. And like that's how we kind of ended up here. Like the E stands for evolution. So they're saying like this is part of our evolution into real actual hardware-based antenna 5G. But the current (laughs) network standard has evolution in it already. Like 4G LTE. LTE means long. Long-term evolution. <laughs> right. It's confusing. You know, great for people to get, you know, 2x network speeds, but 
We're taking a confusing thing and making it worse. Totally. And there's so much to look forward to with real 5G with like, you know, millimeter wave technology and things that are going to make our data connection so much faster that that's exciting for when it comes. But we don't really have that yet. Yeah. So get ready for it. You'll see it. It'll change. It means almost nothing <laughs> uh, so far. But It means two times nothing. It's going to happen. You yeah. said it yourself. Yeah. Stan, correct me if I'm wrong. Even if real 5G existed right now, there are no phones that are capable of using it. Uh, no. I mean, there, there's. we're starting to get there. There are like 12 cities that have these 5G programs starting off, but it's not like you're going to be able to hook up your phone to it. You either need like Motorola has like a one of their interchangeable back phones that has like a module that's kind of available that has a 5G antenna, but it's more about like a, a like a, a router, like a point, the access point that you can put. Um, because the idea is to because it's so fast that it's not going to necessarily need to differentiate between mobile and regular internet anymore. We'll just be able to do whatever we want. Right. Yeah. 5G could even be just kind of take the place of your router, where it's a unit that sits in your windowsill. Yeah. And is kind of your home Wi-Fi. So there are people in the country using 5G right now, but you're probably not one of them. <laughs> Sorry, guys. All right. So I guess it's my turn to decide who the winner is now. I think it's going to be Corinne because I'm very excited about a butter emoji. And there's two butter emojis if you really think about it because there's butter on the waffle too. And there's already butter on the pancakes. So that's oh my God, there's so much butter. There's it's delicious. so much butter. And there's butter on my phone's keyboard from typing <laughs> with butter in my hands. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. This episode of Techathlon is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise in your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Welcome back. We're going to jump right into a game called Battle Royale. We've heard rumors that there could be new video game consoles from all three of the major players in that field as early as E3 this June. So I've assigned one company to each of our panelists, Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo. We're going to let them duke it out and tell you if you can only buy one of the current systems, which one should you get? Corinne, who are you fighting for today? I'm Team Xbox from Microsoft. Stan? I am Mr. PlayStation. And Rob? Nintendo Switch. Rob, you went last in the first game, so why don't you go first in Battle Royale? Yeah, so I want to start off by talking about our Best of What's New awards at Popular Science. They are these huge awards we give out every year to products that we think are really amazing. And we kind of agonize over them and we test them very thoroughly. And our Best of What's New awards in 2017 in the entertainment category, the grand award winner was the Nintendo Switch. And I feel like, Stan, you probably even wrote that award, right? I did, yeah. Yeah, really big deal. And that's the console we picked for an award. That was brutal. Yeah. I would like to advocate for Popular Science's choice, our, our best of what's new grand award winner in the entertainment category from 2017, which is the Nintendo Switch. And the reasons that we picked it are really clear. And that's because it is a really wonderful mobile game console you can take with you. And you can plug it into uh, the system at home and play it at home. So it's a really joyful, not too complicated gaming system that I feel like is ideal for people who just like playing video games. And Filthy that's that. casuals. 
<laughs> what the, Let the man finish. What those are known as. Unsportsmanlike. <laughs> yeah, so there's more than a thousand games. You can play like the Super Mario type games like Mario Kart. There's Zelda. And uh, it's really just a lot of fun. So that's that's my entry. Okay. Nintendo down in the books. Stan, tell me about the PlayStation. PlayStation 4 is a video game system. Like you were talking about buying video game systems. The PlayStation 4 Pro is the video game system to buy at, at this moment, at least I think. It's not the most powerful. The Xbox One X is the most powerful, but it's $100 cheaper than the Xbox One X. And you still get all the 4K stuff and the HDR, and you can take advantage of your big fancy TV that you trample old ladies to get on Black Friday. So it's a super powerful system, but you also get intellectual property. You get what they call IP, the video game guys. They call it, they get original IP, which means you get God of War, which was one of the best games of last year that you could only get on PlayStation 4, plus Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man game, which was one of my favorite games from last year, was only on the PS4. Plus, you get the gamepad, which has a touchpad on it. So it's like the most, I mean, I guess unless you count the Switch's controller with the screen on it, it's it's more advanced than the Xbox controller, at least. And lastly, it gives you a door into the PSVR, which is the PlayStation VR system, which I think is an underrated thing because it is really, really powerful. Like, it's sort of on par with the HTC Vive, which is like a $500 system in and of itself. And you can sort of get this as a $200 add-on to your PlayStation 4 and play most of the same stuff. In terms of future-proofing and performance and just overall fun, like PlayStation 4 Pro seems like the one at the moment. Thank you, Stan. Corinne. Uh, I'm going to jump right in and uh, throw something Stan said back at him, which is that, you know, while the PS4 is a great machine, it's super powerful, it is future-proof, as you said, um, it misses out on something that is true of the Nintendo Switch, but is also very true of the Xbox One, the Xbox One X being the top, top of the line, tricked out Xbox One, which is backwards compatibility. You can't play your old PlayStation games, your old physical PlayStation discs that you've already owned and paid money for on the PlayStation 4. You can do that on the Xbox One. And that's a really big deal for people. Like, who wants to keep two giant power-hungry consoles alive and running in their house all the time? So to me, that's just one way to illustrate what's superior about Xbox, which is it's an all-in-one solution, right? We have the backwards compatibility. We have a 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray player. Again, discs. Yes, I know they're falling away, but there are certain things that you can really only get on a disc. You know, the performance specs and things like that really kind of level out between the two. But Xbox really is much more of a, a whole home solution. You get the streaming you get to watch your movies however you may have them. You get to continue to play your old games. And there is IP associated with the Xbox system and the Microsoft systems, including Halo and Forza, that you also can't get anywhere else. And looking forward, future-proofing, as it were, is this Play Anywhere program that Microsoft is rolling out where you can actually take games that you're playing on your Xbox and play them on your PC, and we have rumors and inklings that that's only, that universe is only going to continue to expand. So there. I think that uh, argument would be a lot stronger if Halo was still good. <laughs> Such a hater. I'm going to make make all the video game people mad. <laughs> I'm just curious, like, if you have a PlayStation or an Xbox, you wanted to take it with you, like, on your next airplane flight and play a game on them, is that something you could do? It's no. something that you may be able to do with Xbox in the future, again, they're one of the rumors that we've been hearing, which seems to have a lot of 
truth behind it is this notion that Xbox Live, like the streaming service that connects the entire Xbox universe together, will become portable to like mobile consoles and phones, iOS, even the Nintendo Switch. I like having my system be better at home than on my phone. I like the fact that when I'm on a plane, I have to play the crappy ball spaceship shooting game. <laughs> That's a draw for me. I think if video games were too good to take with me, I feel like I'm I'm not responsible enough. Like we're getting to this line where I my downfall is like one generation of fun stuff away. <laughs> you just don't want to have like a portable <laughs> sticky gadget that you can take with you because it's just you're too addicted yeah, to it. Yeah, we're like one generation of like mobile graphics processors away from me becoming those wally fat people in the like <laughs> that are kind of like <laughs> reclining around and being pushed. Just yeah. stand alone with his PlayStation. Yeah. It's just me me and the PS4. And I, you know, I, to, to talk about backwards compatibility like I have an Xbox One, and I think Xbox One X is is awesome. I use it for a lot of stuff, but I have zero interest in playing old games on it. Like, we have, I think we have one game, and it's Left 4 Dead 2, and it's an Xbox 360 game. The draw of going back and playing old games that aren't really old games has sort of faded away from me. Like, that's where I think Nintendo might actually have the advantage there, because you can go, you pay, what, $4 a month to go onto their online system, and you can play, like, Metroid and Kid Icarus and, like, those really old games. Like, that's really fun. Yeah, unlike PlayStation, where you can play the old games on PlayStation 4, you know, for $20 a month. It's really nice to hear you guys criticizing the platform of the other person, you know, (laughs) PS4 or Xbox, and occasionally just throwing praise towards the Switch, which I think you secretly like. It's cute. Nobody wants to kick a puppy. I mean, it's just, it's not even the same ballpark. I don't even, you know, I understand that these are the three major players, but to me, like, the Nintendo Switch is a non-factor in this. Yeah, and I mean, but there are limitations. Like, a lot of people who have Nintendo Switch are excited about Diablo 3, which is a game that's been around forever. Like, if you want to play big, a lot of the big name titles, like, if you want to play Overwatch, which is, like, one of the most popular games, like, you just can't do it on the Switch. It's just, and you you probably never will. You could play Fortnite. <laughs> I was going to say, how do we make it this far and nobody has said the word Fortnite yet? Yeah. So maybe the winner of this is just Fortnite. It's, ru- <laughs> it's ruined all other video games and our children and society in general. All right. So All right, I don't know. I'm just saying neither one of you convinced me. We that all I was agree wrong. that I'm the winner and now no. we go to the next <laughs> next thing. All right, let's let's put it up to a vote. You have to vote for somebody who is not you. Rob, who do you vote for? I'm going to vote for the PS4 because of the price difference. Stan, who do you vote for? I you know I have a sentimental spot for the Xbox, but I think I have to. If I was telling somebody what to buy, it would have to be the the, the Switch, just because it's I don't know, pound for pound, you probably get the most entertainment out of it. Corinne, I go to the PS4, but I'm really hurt right now, really hurt. Stan, you were right. I was You're right. the winner. Winner. Which video game system do you like best? Let us know by tweeting at us at Techathlon Show on Twitter. This is great, amazing. Celebrate during this break, and then we'll be right back. Hey folks, looking for awesome popular science merch? We've got you covered at popsci.threadless.com. Pick up t-shirts, notebooks, mugs, and other great swag with iconic vintage covers and modern designs. Plus, check out our podcast store and rep your favorite PopSci shows like Techathlon. All that and more at popsci.threadless.com. That's p-o-p-s-c-i.threadless.com. And we're back. We're going to jump into a segment called There, I Fixed It. We're going to play this anytime somebody comes to me and says, Jason, I've solved one of the technology world's big problems. 
you should let me talk about this. I have the perfect solution. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And I go, uh, okay. <laughs> so this week it's Stan. Uh, Stan, what is the problem that you have decided to fix this week? Yeah, people keep complaining that they want to edit their tweets. And Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, will not let them do it because there's all sorts of sleaze that could happen and all sorts of complicated stuff. And also, I don't know, maybe he just doesn't want to let anybody edit their tweets, which I think would be a pretty funny reason to not do it. But there is rumors that he's been mentioning in interviews that this edited tweet function may be coming down the road. I think I figured out a way that people could actually edit their tweets and have it not turn into a cesspool of garbage. Any more than Twitter already is a cesspool of garbage. <laughs> I was just about to that say is. that. All right. Here's how I think that it should work. If you tweet something, right, it goes out into the world. If somebody retweets it, it gets retweeted. If you go back and edit it, now like in your feed, there will be a visual indicator on the tweet that says like you edited this tweet. It's like in Slack when you edit something in like the group chat Slack. You can make all the changes you want, but there's a little thing that says edited and tattles on you. Twitter could very well just put an edited icon on them that lets whoever's curious click back through to the old version so that they could still see your old version, but they'd have to do the work in order to see your typo. And I'm not convinced that anyone in my Twitter feed is willing to click on a thing to see an old tweet with a typo in it. So your notion is that editing tweets is purely a vanity exercise and only the person who made the original tweet gives a crap. No, I I think what could happen is – and I think we need to say like what if you retweeted a tweet that's been edited? And I think the way you fix that is you say anyone who retweeted it before you edited it, it will still show up as the way it was originally intended. But that – Retweeted tweet also gets the little icon that people can click through and see the new version. So that'll indicate that there's a new version. I think both versions have to exist. It's just about which one we put in front of people. The concern that some people have about an edit button is that you would write something, someone would retweet it, and then you might edit it, and it would look like the person who had retweeted you was kind of condoning something that they actually were not condoning. And for that reason, I actually love the time limit idea, which is you write a tweet, let's say you have 10 or 15 seconds to, to edit it, and during that time window, the tweet is not available for retweets or likes. So that's that's just, my vote. I just I'm not convinced that people that's going to help people because like there's no time limit now. It's not like everyone's like send your tweet now. It's like there's no ticking clock. It's just people be like the elevators have too many buttons now. Send uh, okay okay. Let me suggest a riff on the time limit where I hit tweet, but it actually there's a delay. Like there's a delay send on Gmail where you have that moment to read the thing after you've tweeted it. Before it actually posts to the rest of the Twitter universe, because it really does seem it. like, <laughs> huh? <laughs> Why don't you just read it before you press send? Then, but that's you're like... giving people a lot of credit, dude. Let me throw something else out there. You edit a tweet that has been that has some engagements, right? That has likes and retweets and replies and things like that. You edit the tweet, and all of the engagements disappear, as if there's a penalty for editing yourself. How is that different than just deleting it and then retweeting it? True. Yes, that's a point. I'm, I don't know if we're keeping score in this one, but I'm taking a point for that one. Stan, that's 14 million points wow, to you. I'm doing good. Yeah. I, so Stan's I fixed, so just to be clear, I want to go back really quickly. Your I fixed it is that if you edit a tweet, there is an archived viewable version of the original tweet no matter what. It yep. never disappears. Yep. So if you retweet, if someone retweets your tweet before you edit it, 
in their feed, it will always look like the original version. But from that original version, someone will be able to click and see the new version if they really are compelled. If someone is interested enough in your tweet where you're like, cheese is awfully orange nowadays, and they're like, well, I, this guy spelled orange wrong. Let's see if he fixed it. You know, like they could make that that effort to look at. I just don't think anybody would. I think we get around this idea of like tricking people into tweeting something and being like, People who dress their dogs up for Halloween shouldn't get the death penalty, you know? And then, like, <laughs> you go back and retweet it and you take out the, you know, N apostrophe T. And all of a sudden, like, we're advocating the death penalty for Halloween dog costume people. Uh, I, I think we could do it. I think it's it, would, it wouldn't be beautiful. But I think it would keep— Because Twitter's so gorgeous right now. And I think it would keep Twitter honest, and I think it would give people the opportunity to make up for their, like, whatever people tweet about and complain about. Like, then they can go back and fix it for, like, the vast majority of people. And then we're not putting a delay on it. Because, like, one of the things people complain about the most is that Twitter isn't instantaneous anymore. I think that your solution is creative, and in my my mind it gets points for that. But it's also a little bit confusing in the idea that— there could be two versions of the same tweet out there, one edited and kind of one original, I think is not the most elegant approach to the solution. It's not. It's certainly not. But I think we, we have to make some concessions to people just being scumbags and right. also just have to put some of the impetus on people where people are like, we should be able to edit our tweets. And I'm like, well, at the same time, you should be able to write 280 characters without making nine mistakes. <laughs> we have seen a similar solution to yours, Stan, before. Does anybody else know where? Are you talking about Facebook? I'm talking about Facebook. That's oh, my gosh. It's exactly Facebook's strategy where right. you can see that it's been edited. If you go into a post and click, you know, those like three dots in the right-hand corner, if somebody has edited a post, you can see view edit history and see the different iterations of a post that this has been through. Yeah, it is. Facebook actually does a fairly okay job at this. Like, uh, they're edit, like they always clearly mark things as edited. Twitter has to be m- a little bit more upfront about it and make it easier to see the new or the old version because going into clicking through buttons and like clicking in history and seeing a bunch of, of revisions, I think is, is a little bit much. I think then we sort of start defeating the purpose. Whereas if we have some sort of graphical indicator that like makes it obvious that something is is I think that's a good solution to be honest because then it's there it keeps you honest I like it we're about to play a game called tougher lame the answer's the same here's how it works I'll ask each of our panelists a tough tech related question after they answer or they don't know and they have to admit it to me I'll ask them an easy or at least easier tech-related question that has the same answer and give them an opportunity to either give an answer or change their response. If they get the answer correct with the tougher question, they get two points. If they get the easier question, they get one point. Whoever has the most points at the end will win a very special mystery prize. I really hope the prize is a bathroom break. (laughs) 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 All right, we're going to go one by one. Let's start with Corinne. Question number one, according to security company Avast, what percent of Windows software is out of date, potentially leaving users at risk of a security breach? It's not, I don't get like a five point buffer? No. Oh, this is bull shark. I think I know the neighborhood, but I want the easier question because you're a butthead. (laughs) I told you they're tough. The easier question is, how old is Amazon CEO and Blue Origin founder Jeff Bezos? 55? 55. Wow. <laughs> One point for Corinne. Woo-hoo! Jesus Christ. Anybody yeah. want to take a guess what the <laughs> what the most common softwares, the three most common are? 
Most common what? Uh, Most sorry. common unupdated software? Yes. Like operating systems? Those are, those uh, are the words I meant to I'm say. I'm going to go Windows XP. Sorry, programs on programs. Windows, not, oh. not software by Windows. Okay. Uh, Chrome. Microsoft Office. Yeah, I was going to say Word. Uh, it's on the list, but it's not the number, not in the top three. Microsoft Office is not in the nope. top three? Nope. Number three is Skype. Number okay. two is VLC. Mm. And number one is Adobe Shockwave. All right, Stan, here's your first question. That'll be a catastrophe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we're in this catastrophe together, Stan. You want to hold my hand? Corinne's no. name doesn't rhyme with win for nothing. Oh! Google is working on a new operating system that will be able to run across any of its devices, meaning one day Chrome OS, Android, and Android Auto will all be obsolete. The software already runs on Chromebook and could come to other devices soon. What is the name of this project by Google? I don't know, like the the Chrome OS platform. I, I we talked about it, and I can't. Google is such a pain in the ass with naming things. <laughs> They're terrible. God. All right, give me the easy question. All right, one could call T-Mobile's logo this shade of pink. I why, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Salmon Project Salmon Lavender <laughs> Lavender Fuchsia Project Fuchsia Really Fuchsia huh. Yeah. Thank I you for sparing me the color question. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know that. Corinne is very colorblind. Extremely colorblind. Project Salmon it is. Rob, here's your first question. Samsung's Galaxy S9 has not sold well. The company itself has even described sales as, quote, slow. The 2018 model of Samsung's flagship phone is the worst selling since what year? 2016. All right, here's your easier question. <laughs> in what year did NASA land the Curiosity rover on Mars? The car-sized machine is still operational today and has been on the red planet for nearly 2,300 souls, which is the Martian day. Mm. Okay, I'm going to change my answer to 2009. It was right in the middle. It's 2012. <sighs> okay. What was the f- must have been Galaxy S4 or something? I was just was I was thinking one? about the Note. Seven disaster That's and that true, yeah. struck yeah. my what mind as like too, the yeah. low point. But I mean, that was a phone that sold well, and then people still held on to them though, and it blew up after the phone blew up. People still held on to them. They got banned from airplanes. Yeah, are they still banned from airplanes? If you have one, that particular phone, yes. And I remember because I was traveling when this happened. When I left New York, it was leave your phones on unless you have this Samsung Galaxy Note Seven. In which case, it has to remain off the entire flight. And then flying back to New York, it had changed to if you have a Samsung Galaxy Note 7, take it off the plane. And that was 2016, right? That's Yes. Yeah. Okay. So is the score 100? 1-0-0. Question number four goes to Corinne. This programming language and software is commonly used for statistics and data analysis. It runs on both Windows and Mac and has been used by multiple pop-sized staffers to create data visualizations for our website and print magazine. R? Here's the easier question. (laughs) (laughs) The Wall Street Journal reported this week that due to poor sales of models with LCD screens, all future iPhones will contain OLED displays. The iPhone X, what contains an LCD screen? The iPhone XR? Yeah, yeah. XR. Corinne loses all of her points. (laughs) (laughs) Nomenclature is important. But I wanted to be clear, wasn't I right the first time? You were right the first time. Thank (laughs) you. But then I don't if I tell you you're right, I don't get to ask my second question. Fine. fine. (laughs) That's three. It's three, nothing, nothing. All right, Stan, here's question number two for you. The approximate cost of Apple's smart keyboard folio for a 12.9 inch third generation iPad Pro 
if you include the tax that would be paid in Los Angeles, mm. is what? I don't know what the state tax is in Los Angeles. I'm assuming it's got to be terrible like New York. We have 8% here, right? It's, it's even higher in L.A. I had to find a place with a higher tax than New York because the number didn't match otherwise. Wow. I, I, don't, I mean, I guess I would probably guess like $220, but I don't know. Is that, what's the second question? The measurement in inches of Samsung's wall TV that was on display at this year's CES. Oh, so I was close. You were it's very two, close. It's 219. It's 219. Yeah. Nice. I was pretty close. I mean, I, I, I think you should give it to him. Give him the two? Give him the two. All right. That was pretty close. 2.19. <laughs> no, you don't get extra. Oh, right. Yeah, I forgot how All numbers right. work. Three, two, Rob, here we are. Sweet. Question number two. The number of Amazon employees working on Alexa and Echo as confirmed by Business Insider. Oh, I will take the easy question, please. Okay. The cost of the infamous first-generation Apple Watch edition, which stopped being compatible with watchOS last year and is therefore obsolete. 10,000. 10,000. Wow. That's a lot of employees working on Alexa. Em- yeah. All right, Corinne, here's your question. The score is three to two to one, Corinne, Stan, Rob, respectively. AT&T is actually an abbreviation for American Telephone and Telegraph Company. It was originally created as a subsidiary of this telephone company in 1885. Ma Bell? Here's the easy question. At this year's CES, mm. this company showed off the Nexus, its six-rotor air taxi, which, let's be honest, is just a fancy helicopter. It, it is Bell. It's Bell. Yeah. Yeah. Corinne, you're the winner. I win. Congratulations. Your prize is my eternal love. I didn't already have that? Wow. I mean, you you did, but you won again. So Someone like, call okay. What are you going to do? Doubling I'm down. so glad I didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> wow, rude. Thank you all for playing the Techathlon. We hope you had fun and that you learned something. We'll catch you right back here for the next episode of Popular Science's Techathlon. Techathlon is a popular science podcast. We're available on all major podcast platforms, so subscribe wherever you're listening now. And if you like what you hear, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It will help other people to find the show. You can buy our merch, including t-shirts, tote bags, and mugs at popsci.threadless.com. The show is produced by the entire PopSci tech team and me, Jason Letterman. Our theme music is by Billy Cadden. If you have questions, suggestions, or opinions to share, tweet us at Show. Thanks for listening.